catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, I have great news for you. Our partners at Bet Online, they are the fastest and easiest way. It's that simple to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first-to-market odds and lines, and you can find reviews and news for every league from the NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, golf, and college sports to boot. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information. From live in-game betting, props, and futures, you can head on over to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50. That's B-L-E-A-V-50. You're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Hey guys, this is Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. You know something? On the ML Sports Platter, I got to tell you, we pride ourselves on being able to talk about a little of everything in the sports world, and there may be off-seasons for your favorite leagues and teams, but really no downtime, right? Free agent signings, coaching changes, draft picks, and more mean there are always stories to tell. And I learned so much about sports reporting and storytelling during my time at St. Bonaventure University, including how to find the most interesting stories. SBU has that long-standing reputation for training future journalists, including myself, Adrian Wojnarowski, Donna DeToda, and Mike Vaccaro, although I really consider all those people way above me for sure. This reputation continues with its online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism. This entirely online degree option builds podcasting, interviewing, and research skills needed in the changing media landscape we live in on a daily basis. Students learn how to follow high professional standards as they tell nuanced stories about the sports we love. You don't need to have any writing or broadcasting experience to start this program. Just a passion for the profession. Pretty simple, right? SBU doesn't require an application fee or GRE or GMAT score. It makes it easier to apply. Students complete this program in less than two years. That's a fact. While learning important lessons in sports journalism from experienced faculty and accomplished alumni. Contact an enrollment advisor today at sbujournalism.com. That's sbujournalism.com to learn more about St. Bonaventure's sports journalism program. That's sbujournalism.com. We are brought to you by our great friends over at the Allen Angus Pub, Welch and Company Jewelers, Jam and Beats, and Stanley Law Offices. Stanley Law Offices together. They'll work to get you the maximum reward. So this is going to be a podcast guest-free. It's going to be all me. I'm going to give you a few-minute recap on the Georgia TCU National Championship game, which was an absolute joke. And then uh, you're going to hear a crossover episode from me on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network, where I also went guest-free. I talk a ton about Patriots, Bills, recap that game, talk Dolphins playoff week, the DeMar Hamlin situation. Everything's kind of rolled into one uh, in that uh, show. And I always uh, like to play those crossovers for you, <clears throat> you know, throughout the uh, throughout the weeks here. So, look, there is really not tons to say about this TCU-Georgia National Championship game. I'm just going to kind of rip through a lot of the takeaways. Number one, I know that Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and a host of others might be the most talented quarterback or the better quarterback to the naked eye. 
But for me and my money as an NFL GM, who is better than Stetson Bennett right now? I mean, seriously, the guy's a veteran at this point. He's in his mid-20s. He's won two national championships. He runs out of the pocket, can throw on the run, can run just period, uh, throws a great deep ball. He's a very, very, very controlled player inside the pocket, and he's got really good size, both height and weight. So I don't know, man. I look at this guy playing football, and I'm just like, why wouldn't you want to have him as your quarterback at the next level? He's seen it all. He's done it all. He's played on the biggest stage. I mean, he had six touchdowns in the national championship game, four through the air and two on the ground, and he had a 343-yard uh, campaign combined from scrimmage. This game was over early, 17-7, end of the first quarter, and then it was a joke from there. I mean, 38-7 at the half. Georgia scored the most points in the first quarter in any uh, championship final in history. They scored the most points overall at the end. They had the biggest discrepancy of win, uh, you know, between 65 and 7 in terms of that. They, they had the you know biggest discrepancy in victory uh, as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they just kind of set record after record after record. And it's crazy because last year they had, what, five first-round players from defensive from the defensive side of the ball they, that went to the pros? Well, their defense is absolutely lethal, and they've got freshmen and sophomores galore. They were all over the ball. Uh, they had five sacks in this game. Uh, they were unbelievable. They really were. And the offense, there's just a lot going on there. Um, you know, they run pretty much under Kirby Smart. They've been running these different sets you know, two tight end sets. They can spread it out four wide. They can do a lot of different things. Brock Bowers is a sophomore, 6'4", 230 tight end. I don't think that he is able to go into the NFL draft uh, based on age. I believe he's coming back for another year or he'll play a year somewhere. I don't know why you'd leave Georgia. I mean, that's a three-peat situation waiting to happen. Um, you know, the kid McConkey, you know, is very difficult to, to deal with. He's kind of like the Debo Samuel of the Georgia Bulldogs. And this team just rolled TCU. And the final thought that I'll give you is that even though there is more parity this year and last year than there has been the last 5, 7, 10, 12, 15 years because of Clemson and Alabama, specifically Alabama, even though that is the case, right? We saw Michigan this year and last in the playoff. We saw Cincinnati last year. We saw Cinderella TCU this year. That's all fine and dandy and it's all nice. And it was great for the sport. But the end game still tells you that if you have an elite SEC team, elite, against anybody else, and that includes Power 5 teams, the SEC team is going to roll. You could see it from the get-go. The edge speed, the physicality, the athleticism, like it's all superior in the SEC. And it's been that way with Alabama, and now it's that way with Georgia. The ML Sports Platter brought to you by our great friends over at Burn Dairy, Jam and Beats, Ken's Auto Detailing, and the Vince Aguirre Consulting Group. Log on today, become a better leader both personally and professionally. Take those online courses right there at vcgtransforms.com. That's vcgtransforms.com. All right, here we go. It is my crossover episode of the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network. I recap Pat's Bills, talk Dolphins Playoff Week, and a heck of a lot more. But first, this. It is Bedlam! It is Pandemonium! It is Fandemonium! It is
It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. Bills Mafia, what's happening, man? Uh, just an unbelievable week. We're going to dive into it here shortly. I'm your host, Mike Lindsley, and really appreciate the support and love for built-in Buffalo, this podcast network, this group, this team, these guys I work with are just amazing. And you fans are second to none as well. So I uh, really appreciate the support. Again, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, uh, follow the Instagram page, follow the Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, follow the YouTube, uh, check out all the live shows. You know what I mean? It's it's audio, video, and, and content on the website literally seven days a week. And there aren't many people doing that. A lot of people do podcasts once or twice, maybe three times a week. I do a podcast every day uh, for my other show, and then I do one here a week. And, um, you know, they're not an hour and a half long by any means, but it's still a show. And we're pumping the content out every single day. And if there's not a show, there's tweets, there's video graphics, there's video compilations. I mean, it's, it's all happening covering your Buffalo Bill seven days a week. So make sure you follow us all over the social platforms, and visit builtinbuffalonews.com. I want to start with the victory over the Patriots and then get into Dolphins Week. First of all, like, what's left to say about the Naheem Hines return, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, what in what world, how do you script that up? How do you do, how, how does that even happen, right? Well, fate, right, and the Bills, and what's happened to the Bills all year, um, you know, and and I just love the post game stuff with Sean McDermott, where he said, you know, oh, there's a chance. And I'm paraphrasing, but you know, if there's a chance to, <laughs> you know, run it back to to, to start things off, and boom, it, and it happened. Um, the the interesting part about the run back, however, was that it didn't really set the tone for the football game. Um, it, it opened things up and gave the stadium an emotional boost. It gave everybody a reason to smile. It apparently got DeMar Hamlin out of his hospital bed, and he set off all the the alarms or whatever in the ICU area. Um, but this was more about a holy crap moment for the memory books forever with the week that the Bills have endured and the football community has endured. And us fans have endured, and people in the media have endured. It's been a long week. It was a really long week for everybody. Uh, no, no longer for anyone than Demar Hamlin, no doubt. But the fact is, this kid it looks like is going to be okay. He came out of it. I, he was fifty percent breathing. Next thing you know, he's hundred percent breathing. People said he was still kind of in critical condition, but he was remaining in the hospital. Next minute, you look up, he's being discharged. He's going to a Buffalo hospital now. I mean, the medical team of the Bills. And, you know, um, you know, the, the Bengals and, and the hospitals and everybody, it, it really is absolutely amazing. Um, and I think, you know, that kickoff basically just gave us a, a new shining moment. But as far as the game go, it didn't really set the tone for the game because the Patriots came right down. And they scored, you know, with under six minutes left to play in that first quarter. It was seven to seven. Still felt okay about the Bills, but like, ooh, I kind of took it, you know, some of the air out of the balloon there. And then, uh, you know, the Bills, in typical Bills fashion, right? They go down just an unbelievable drive. I, I can't tell you the amount of 
you know, times I've said 12 plays, 75 yards, five and a half minutes, or 13 plays, 77 yards, six minutes and 18 seconds, like between five and a half and six and a half minute drives and about 10 to 13 or 14 plays and over 70 yards. How many times have the Bills done that this year? It has happened a ton. And so they do it here. They take the lead. What a pass by Allen to Dawson Knox. And, of course, he celebrated in the end zone. Uh, Allen had waited for him, waited for him, waited for him, uh, hit him across you know, the middle there. Um, and as we know, Dawson Knox is an important piece of this offense. He's a strong, big, strong tight end, big-time target down there in the red zone for Josh. And, um, you know, went, uh, went 14-7. You're kind of feeling good again. Then the Patriots say, whoa, hang on. You know, we got the playoffs on the line here for us. And they fought again, and they tied it before the half, under four minutes. Devontae Parker with a T-yard pass from Mac Jones. And, you know, Bills, the secondary was getting toasted. By the time we had hit halftime and after the first drive of the third quarter where Nick Folk kicked the field goal, you know, for for the New England Patriots, at 17-14, it almost felt like the momentum was shifting towards New England and that Bill Belichick was striking again. And maybe this past week was just a little too much, right? Now, other people I've talked to have said, no, 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 I never felt that once. I always thought the game was in control. But in this particular instance, I feel like this game was a little different than some of the others, right? Like with the Bills, if they were playing earlier in the year where like they weren't given their A game, right, and they gave you a, a, a B minus C game, you might still say, yeah, but they'll, they'll do something in the second half, right? Like this team, it's been, we've been on this road before. This particular spot, when they were down 17-14 in the third quarter, they hadn't been in from the standpoint of the DeMar Hamlin situation. That's what I'm getting at. From a football context, yeah, they've been in it all year, right? They've been in it all year. And you kind of wondered what was going to happen. Well, lo and behold... There he goes again, Naheem Hines, 101-yard kickoff return, absolutely spectacular, 21-17 Bills. John Brown gets the ball on just an unbelievable teardrop throw by Josh Allen, under two minutes to go, seven plays, 81 yards and 302, and just an amazing job by Josh Allen. He rolls out to his right, and he just points up, points up. In other words, go, baby, go down the field. And John Brown read it textbook and zipped down there. He can still fly, by the way. Josh Allen teardrops it in there. Did he, you know, did he lead him maybe a little bit too much? Maybe. But it was a spectacular communication play. You could tell they were running that one in practice a little bit, right? And they just kind of went back in the in the Bills history books a little bit, you know, and and, and kind of were like, well, John Brown, this is why we got John Brown a long time ago to be a, a big-time boundary threat, and um, that was just an unbelievable play. And, you know, so you feel good, right? You're up by 11 going into the fourth quarter, and then the Patriots strike again. They get a touchdown on just a, a, a carve job of the Bills' defense. It continued and continued and continued. Eight plays, 85 yards, and 458. Um, so then it's a five-point game, and you're like, okay, well, the Bills need one, well, and they got it. They need a one more drive, they got it. Four plays, 60 yards, 240, uh, 246 time, and it was a ridiculous uh, mini backpedal of sorts. Josh Allen just throwing an absolute rope, an absolute missile up the left sideline to Stephon Diggs, who got in the act, which was great to see all day long. 49-yard pass, and that 
did it 35-23. And basically, I think the Bills won this game because of three reasons. Number one, um, well, no, you know what? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the four 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 reasons. Number one is the Bills had Josh Allen, and again, the other team did not. It, it's that simple. Josh Allen did not have a vintage elite like last year's playoff game performance against the Pats or the Chiefs, respectively. He didn't have one of those, but he still went 19 to 31 for 254 yards and three touchdowns. He did throw the pick, but it was batted by Judon. He just happened to make a play, and Allen ran it for 16 yards on the ground over nine carries. So Josh Allen had 270 total yards from scrimmage and three touchdowns. And when he had to be elite, he was elite. The throw to John Brown, the throw to Dawson Knox, the throw to Stephon Diggs, the plays we've seen Josh Allen make, he was elite when he had to be. And the Bills defense eventually figured out a way to slow down the run game and enough of the pass game from the standpoint of filling up the gaps a little bit playing a little bit tighter. They were a little too loose in the first half. They were loose again in parts of the second. And you just kind of sat there and said to yourself, hang on a second. Can this defense tighten up just a little bit? Because if you tighten up and you get guys in the lanes, the Edmondses, the Milanos, the Poyers, you start filling up those lanes. Taron Johnson, those guys were unbelievable in this game as they have been all year. But you kind of sat there and said, well, wait a minute now. If they can slow this down a little bit, right? If they can slow this down, if they can slow down the run game almost to a halt, and in the passing game, we can keep adjusting, keep adjusting, keep adjusting to make Mac Jones make plays, then we have a really good shot. And lo and behold, the Bills really started to adjust. The Bills started to fill gaps and lanes. The Bills started to pick off Mac Jones. They picked him off three total times. And, you know, those interceptions obviously proved costly. Um, you know, there were a couple of fumbles that the Bills actually had for turnovers. They lost both of them. Um, you know, but I, I thought that the adjustments made by the Bills when they were down 17 to 14 defensively, I know the I know the Patriots got that one extra touchdown, uh, missed a two-point conversion. But to me, the Jordan Poyer, Matt Milano, Taron Johnson, Tremaine Edmonds, those type of players, you know, Trey White had an interception, Edmonds had one, Milano had one. These guys really started to fill the gaps and not give the Jacoby Myerses as much room, the Devontae Parkers as much room, the Kendrick Bournes, you know, as much room. And, you know, Myers is obviously a really nice player, and he, I believe, is a free agent at the end of this year. And, you know, he had the tippy-toe uh, the tippy -toe catch there in the back left of the end zone in the game and, and is just a really nice player. I mean, he's he's actually... I would say the best playmaker for the Patriots. They just can't seem to get him the ball consistently. He only had three catches in this game. But to me, it, it was those couple of things. Josh Allen, they had Josh, and the Patriots didn't. Uh, certainly, you know, the, the, the defensive game, you know, being able to finally, finally slow the run game down almost to a halt and then make Mac Jones beat you with a ton of adjustments and a ton of lane filling and gap filling and all that. A lot better tackling in the second half by the Bills' defense as well. They create the turnovers, making Mac Jones scramble a little bit. And then Naheem Hines, obviously, a huge difference in this game. You know, the two returns were the difference in the game. You know, the two touchdowns, that's 12 points right there. They made both kicks, but just the TDs are 12 points together. Well, the Bills won by 12 points. So the Naheem Hines touchdowns were absolutely enormous. And then number four is just the power of the week, I think. You know, the power of the week, the, the, the strength of this team, uh, the adversity they faced all year. Um, you know, and DeMar Hamlin being, you know, one of the latest things that they've had to endure. Um, 
you know, and, and I thought it was a great moment when Brown caught the touchdown and ran over to the sidelines and, and handed the game, you know, ball to uh, Denny Kellington, uh, the the uh, trainer who, you know, went on the uh, the field and, um, you know, saved Amar Hamlin's life, basically. Um, and, you know, I hadn't realized this until I came across an article in preparation for this show. But if you read Danny, uh, Denny Kellington, excuse me, I, said, I don't know if I said Danny. I meant Denny, Denny Kellington. I don't know if I said Danny earlier. Um, but he's a former Syracuse football athletic trainer. And I, for some reason, didn't know that. And I live, obviously, in central New York. I've covered Syracuse forever. Um, but he was with Syracuse from 2005 to 2017. I didn't realize he was in that capacity with SU. And, you know, it just goes to show you sometimes when you cover a team, you don't know, you know, the layers and layers and layers of, of the organization or uh, the team in general. And, you know, I thought that was pretty cool, you know, that he's been, um, you know, kind of grinding from the college, you know, uh, the, the, the college world and, and pro world and up. And, and now he's doing great things with the Bills. But, um, you know, it was just the power of the week, man. It was DeMar Hamlin. It was, uh, you know, getting the good news that he was breathing 50% and then breathing on his own and the breathing tomb was removed. And then he tweeting, he's tweeting during the game and, um, you know, all the love and affection that was shown, the three jerseys, the three hats, the three signs from everywhere around the football world, from everywhere around the sports world. LeBron James quote tweeting for DeMar Hamlin. Uh, DeMar Hamlin's Twitter handle, last I looked, um, from the beginning of the week when, you know, the whole thing happened in Cincinnati. Damar Hamlin's Twitter, I think, was around like two hundred and maybe forty to fifty-five thousand people at that time. Um, it's up over seven hundred fifty thousand right now as I record this. I mean, people are just following him; they're flooding to him. Uh, they've they've rallied around him. People are sending him messages. He's interacting with fans. Uh, it's just really, really cool to see. And I think that the strength of the team and the togetherness and the bond and the Damar Hamlin thing and you know all that stuff railing around each other you know, got them to a point where they got the victory against New England. And, you know, what a, what a wild year it's been, right? I mean, my God, I mean, the adversity this team has faced, you know, and it's funny because when you start to list everything that's happened to the city of Buffalo and the surrounding area, you list a bunch of stuff and then just like one thing, you just, it slips through the cracks, right? Like I mentioned a bunch of stuff on one thread to a couple of fans and I forgot to mention Dane Jackson on Monday Night Football against the Titans, right? I mean, Dane Jackson looked like he was down with a major, major neck and back injury. I mean, I was in the press box, and I was like, that that's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life, ever, ever. The DeMar Hamlin play was a simple play. It was a simple tackle. It just hit, it hit in the right spot, or I guess in the wrong spot in this case. But there was no doubt in my mind that Dane Jackson was in trouble that night, right? And if you go way back to the beginning of the year, you know, Dawson Knox loses his brother, right? You've got the top shooting. You have um, Dane Jackson, Tennessee Titan, Monday Night Football game, right? Looked really, really bad. It really did. Um, you know, keep going with the season. You've got the snowstorm that makes you change your game to Detroit to play the Cleveland Browns. And you got to go back to Detroit after you beat the Browns to beat the Lions at a tough Thanksgiving Day game. The Lions, a team that this year played so hard and so well and won that last game at Lambeau, I feel like Detroit deserved a playoff berth this year just the way they played. Detroit should have won that football game, but the Bills prevailed somehow, some way. And they had to come back and play the Thursday night game against the Patriots, right? The week after. And that's three games in 12 days, right? I mean, that's not easy. 
and Detroit's not that far away, but when you have to go somewhere and come back and go somewhere and come back and go somewhere, you know, you're not at home. You're not in your own bed. You're not at the facility maybe as much in certain spots. It's just not that easy. And I think with the Bills, they just started getting into this rhythm. Okay, like this is what we do now, right? Add to it for the year, Micah Hyde down for the entire year, right? Or so we think. He had been hinting that he might come back for the postseason, which is just crazy to think about. Von Miller out for the year, right? Josh Allen with the elbow problem, right? I mean, pins and needles with that. This, the next snowstorm that kills north of 40 people with horrible government preparation. I don't know how over 40 people die with snowstorm conditions and all the rest in western New York when you know that's coming, central New York. I mean, I don't know where. I mean, the lack of preparation was just absolutely horrible. Um, you know, so that happens. You know, then you have... John Murphy with a stroke, and you have DeMar Hamlin, you know, dying on the field and being resuscitated by, you know, Kellington and the, the medical teams, you know, sticking with it and, and keeping him alive and upright and okay. And, um, you know, Bills, Bengals, uh, uh, NFL, hospital, tra- uh, uh, medical staff, et cetera. I mean, those are all things that the Bills have had to endure this year. You know, you had the house fire that killed, what, five kids, which was absolutely devastating to read about. That was in, in the in the mix, right, with, with all this stuff. So they've dealt with a ton this year, probably more than any team in the NFL. And a lot of that bonding and adversity and rallying around each other, I feel got, you know, I feel like it got the Bills to the top uh, in this game over New England. Now, a uh, couple of other bright spots. Stephon Diggs, I mentioned him earlier. Seven catches, 104 yards, and a touchdown. He was awesome. Josh Allen spread the wealth to John Brown, to Gabe Davis, Khalil Shakir. I'd like to see maybe a little bit less of Gabe Davis at this point. Um, maybe insert, you know, some John Brown boundary looks, and then maybe Khalil Shakir gets involved, maybe a little less McKenzie, maybe you throw Naheem Hines somewhere and, and try to get him going in the slot and all the rest. Although it seems as though, you know, when you look at running back, you look at slot and you look at kickoff and punt returns, clearly his biggest impact is off the kickoff, right? I mean, we just saw it twice against New England where he returned it. And, and finally, the Bills are reaping the benefits of that acquisition because we were waiting, were we not? I mean, that's one thing in the last two years the Bills have absolutely been dying for is that Tyreek Hill type dude with the explosive uh, speed that when that individual touches the football, they can go to the house. And Naeem Hines, if you watch the replay of the first kickoff return, he really utilized his speed in that, in that one, right, on that play. I mean, he, it was absolutely unbelievable watching what he did. He ran up to the middle of the field, and kind of like Jabril Peppers just kind of overcommitted just a little bit a little bit more in the middle. And Hines was able to dart just outside. It was a matter of two or three steps. He darts outside and he just runs past everybody, including the kicker. And the kicker was the one who was the closest at one point. And I said, oh, he's, you know, he's kind of shielded him. He might get him. He might get him. And then all of a sudden it was like three or four more like big time steps and he was gone. What a return. And then the second return was terrific too. He was bouncing off guys like a pinball and utilized that speed up the left side. But Naeem Hines right now, impact-wise, I think probably is the kick return slash punt return first, and then maybe you can implement him more into the offense. You kind of hope as a Bills fan that maybe a lot of the offensive game calling that Ken Dorsey has not gotten in there yet, maybe he introduces, right, like some new looks in the playoffs that we haven't seen in the regular season because you don't want to throw the book at at the video and and, and have everybody be able to prepare extra and understand you, Um, you know, so that's going to be something to watch here in the postseason. Uh, the other thing, too, was, you know, again, Dawson Knox only caught two passes, 
He was a great run blocker, great pass blocker, and he did catch a touchdown. He's becoming very impactful during all of these games, even if he's not getting like 80 to 100-yard games. He is very impactful in the red zone, and he's a tremendous blocker across the board. Uh, Devin Singletary, a little worried now here, right? I mean, he put it on the carpet. He fumbled one. And James Cook, I mean, look, James Cook might be like into that RB1 right now. I mean, he, he might be into that role, okay? And, you know, Devin Singletary fumbling is, is definitely a cause for concern. Uh, James Cook, um, you know, with, with nine carries and 45 yards, um, two catches for six yards, but he's running with a just a much, I think, a, a wicked, just really a lot of control, you know, in terms of, um, you know, taking the ball and, and, and the pace and how he's running and seeing the holes and, you know, exploding quicker, um, not fumbling the ball. He, he fumbled, you know, in the first game of the year. He hasn't fumbled since. Knock on wood. But, uh, you know, I think Cook is playing himself not only into the QB or the RB1 going into the postseason. I think James Cook is going to be the RB1 next year because Devin Singletary probably will command at least 6 to $8 million, and you just can't pay him that kind of money. He's just not good enough to be paid that. Um, you know, Singletary has worked hard the last couple of years. You know, he's worked hard with the conditioning. You can tell he's stronger. He's stronger in the third and fourth quarters. His legs, um, you know, he bowls over people and all the rest, but he fumbles a lot. He can't, he's not very good at catching the football. Uh, there are a lot of things to, you know, and I like Devin Singletary as a guy. I think his production, his positive production is pretty good. But the other stuff, like the negative stuff, it's just, he's just not worth paying, right? When you have Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan Poyer as free agents, and you see what Tremaine Edmonds has done this year, Wow. I mean, the Tremaine Edmonds interception play was just an unbelievable read, right? I mean, it was a little tip play. He comes in flying and, and, and picks the ball off. He had seven tackles, six were solo. Taron Johnson, eight total, six were solo. Matt Milano, eight total, seven solo. Poyer, eight, nine total, seven solo. And the Bills still haven't lost this year with Jordan Poyer in the lineup. And those guys, the Poyer, Milano, Johnson, Edmonds, that 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 group, it, they're just unbelievable. I mean, they they make a huge impact on the run game. They fill the gaps in the pass game. They're always around the ball. They're looking for the tip passes. Uh, you can blitz them. You can do so much with these guys. Taron Johnson's probably the best nickel corner in the NFL. Um, and, and Tremaine Edmonds, I, you know, if I'm Brandon Bean, I'm doing everything I can to, to, to bring this guy back. I know that the payroll, the you know, salary cap doesn't look that great, um, but we've seen Bean work some magic before, and, and I think it would be really important if the Bills were to bring him back. You know, um, the safety position is obviously up in the air. Um, I don't really love a lot of the safeties on the team right now. I mean, I like DeMar Hamlin, um, but, you know, when, I mean, will he even be healthy again? We don't know. Um, you know, they just have a lot of holes at safety. I think they're going to have to go, you know, Jaquan Johnson. Eh. You know, the secondary right now is is shaky. I mean, I know Trey White got a pick. I know that Dane Jackson has been at times really good, but he's kind of been a roller coaster for the most most part. Uh, old friend Dean Marlowe had a great game against New England. Maybe Dean Marlowe's the answer with um, you know Jordan Poyer the rest of the way, and then you kind of reevaluate going into the next year. And you know, do you pay Poyer? Do you not pay Poyer? Will he take less money? Can you can you move some dollars around for him and Edmonds? But what I can tell you is when Tremaine Edmonds is in there with Matt Milano, um, you know they have to be in there doing what they do in order to hide Micah Hyde, right? And in order to hide the lack of depth at safety. That's just all there is to it. The cornerback room is a lot stronger now than it was at the beginning of the year. It's just that Kyrie Elam isn't playing well. Dane Jackson, you just can't count on it fully. Benford hasn't been back in forever. Obviously, Trey White gets his pick, but is he 100% back from a football standpoint? Not quite sure on that. But when you head into the postseason, 
for the Bills, I think, you know, not playing that game against Cincinnati, this is the best case scenario for the Buffalo Bills, right? Because they will not go into Arrowhead under any circumstance in the postseason. They're not going to have to go at Kansas City. It's just not going to happen. The AFC title game will be played on a neutral field if it's both KC and Buffalo. If it's, you know, if it's Buffalo, home field advantage, if it's not that scenario, home field advantage takes care of, you know, everything. People earn what they earn, and then you host based on, like, normal records, right? And that would mean that, you know, if the Chiefs were to go down, you know, the Bills would host throughout in Buffalo. I mean, that's all there's to it. Um, You know, so home field advantage will be rewarded based on, your record of play. Um, and if the Chiefs and Bills make it to the AFC title game, they'll play in a neutral field. I mean, it's just that simple. And um, this was just a great win for the Bills. And and I feel pretty good going into the playoff game. I, I don't think, and, and I just read here as I record this, that Sean McDermott uh, announced that he has a pretty good idea of of whether two was going to play or not on Sunday. Um, you know, the 1 o'clock Sunday game, I like that, obviously. But, you know, if there was one team that you maybe didn't want to see because you don't want to deal with Tyreek Hill, right, you don't want to deal with a division team for a third time, I know that some people kind of had their eye on, you know, well, you know, New England. Well, it's the same deal there. Well, is it, though? Miami's offense is a lot better. They're a better team than New England. Um, You know, do you want to see the Pittsburgh Steelers with Kenny Pickett, rookie quarterback, playing in the playoffs? And the defense, right? Like, we've seen that defense get after it against the Bills before. Uh, I know the Bills torch him this year, but remember last year, the first game, T.J. Watt and company, they got Cam Hayward, they've got Micah Fitzpatrick. That defense can keep you in games. They can keep it to 13-10 to 10 for a long time, much like, frankly, New England can usually. It's just Josh Allen eventually carves them up. Um, but my, my, my preferred thing probably would have been New England over the other two, again, uh, just because I, I just can't, you can't trust Mac Jones. Then probably Pittsburgh, then probably Miami. I don't want to see Miami, just the division teams and all that. Having said that, let's get into Dolphins week here on the Pandemonium Podcast and the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network. And I think the Bills will win this game. Um, I think it's going to be nip and tuck for a while. Uh, again, I'm, I'm previewing this, not knowing about the status of Tua Tunga Biola. Um, but this team, you know, the Bills, they went down and outplayed them at Miami. And they lost by two points. They should have won that football game. Uh, then they're at home, you know, just before Christmas. And the Bills, uh, you know, are down eight points late in this game. They come back. They get the, the, the TD, the two-pointer. Uh, they get the ball back, and they kick the field goal there in, in the final seconds to win 32-29. So these teams have played nip-and-tuck games. They play close games. Uh, I think both teams can play in the 20s. Both teams can play in the 30s. The high-octane offenses can come, uh, you know, come up big at, at any moment. Again, Tua being in there is going to be the key for that for Miami. Um, but I think just the Bills, with what they've got going right now, the momentum, the rallying around Hamlin, they know that, you know, the time is now. This is where your bread is buttered. Um, you know, I think, obviously, the key to this game is going to be slowing down the Waddle-Hill combination in terms of the big play. Um, you know, and then offensively, it's just going to be about kind of the same type of thing, right? Like, don't turn the ball over. Josh Allen has to be smart. Um, you know, you got to win in the red zone. You got to win on third down. You know, you got to win the turnover battle. These are all big playoff things. They're big in the regular season, but, boy, are they magnified in the postseason and I just think when you look at Bills-Dolphins in this football game, you have a situation where um, I think it would be absolutely huge if the Bills could somehow get out to a double-digit lead, especially if Tua isn't playing. Because you're going to, at some point, if you're Miami, you're going to have to come back, and you're going to have to do it with, you know, Skylar Thompson. You know, that is not a great thing to look at if you're a Dolphins fan. 
they have Tua, it's a different story. Uh, there's also injury uh, update here with Raheem Mostert, who has a thumb problem. He might not be able to go. So they're limping in Miami. That doesn't mean that they're going to lay down against the Bills. They're going to be a very hard team to beat here. But to me, it'd be huge if the Bills could get that first defensive stand, whether they kick the ball you know, and, and start on defense or if they you know, go on offense, then on deep, whatever. Just get that first stand, get the crowd going, set a little bit of a tone, you know, get a touchdown or two and get up double digits and force Miami to have to make plays against you. And then I think it could be uh, a really convincing win for the Bills. But um, as it is, with the weather being in the mid-30s, uh, I, I don't think there's a lot of wind, a lot of precipitation. Uh, I'm going to go with the Bills in this game 30-23. to 23. They get it done by a touchdown over the Miami Dolphins and march on in the playoffs. But um, just can't say enough about a team that, you know, was hit, hit hit a bunch of ro- you know rough patches and people doubted them. They lose to the Jets, they lose to the Vikings, they lose that game in Miami. You know, people had awarded Miami the Super Bowl in Week Three, if you remember, right? The Bills lose to the Jets, you know, early in the year. Jets are going to the playoffs, right? Jets are home, and the Dolphins aren't going going to win the Super Bowl. Um, you know, they're just not. Um, you know, so this Bills team for for everything when you consider all the adversity, all the BS that they've had to endure. And not playing the game against Cincinnati, Demar Hamlin, all the stuff I mentioned, the house fire, Murph, Hyde, Miller, Allen's elbow, right? Like the snowstorms, 40-plus people dying in the area, um, you know, over and over and over again. The top shooting, just the stuff that has happened the last several months to this team, to this town. Um, there's a rallying cry now where these guys are bonded. They, are, uh, they will not take losing as an answer. They will not take anything besides winning for, for an answer. It is win. We have to win. Um, you know, we have to win for DeMar. Uh, this is where our bread is buttered. The playoffs are the only thing that matters. And for a team that dealt with all this crap, they still won 13 games. They still won the division. So hats off to Sean McDermott. He handled the whole thing the entire week just perfectly. Um, you know, Brandon Bean, same thing, great leadership. And uh, I'll pick the Bills, 30-23 to 23, uh, in, this, uh, in this upcoming Wild card weekend playoff game in Orchard Park. Thanks for listening to the Pandemonium Podcast and the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. I'm Mike Lindsley. Hey, hit me on Twitter at Mike L Sports and subscribe to my YouTube page, Mike L Sports, and be sure to download, subscribe, rate, and review all the shows on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network where you get podcasts on your smartphone device. Builtinbuffalonews.com for more. We've got seven days of audio and video content, articles, you name it, and a ton of great video content and uh, some other things with, um, you know, our guys who are just crushing it every single day, and we appreciate all the support. And, again, follow the YouTube, follow the Instagram. Just look for Built in Buffalo uh, underscore on Twitter and, and, and elsewhere, uh, Built in Buffalo, and you can subscribe and, and, and follow and uh, see everything we're doing on the social platforms on a daily basis. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Mike Lindsley here on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network, and as I always tell you, enjoy the games. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.